You have 24 Minutes, the podcast from 24-Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. You may be employed by a municipality and are looking for solutions on how to better manage the needs of nightlife businesses. Or you may be a nightlife business owner or manager who finds yourself gobsmacked by your city's bureaucracy. If so, this episode of 24 Minutes will be of particular interest. Meet Scott Pluskwelek, nightlife business advocate for the City of Seattle's Office of Economic Development. My role is, I like to think of it as a sort of a three-pronged stool. I serve as a liaison to the nightlife business community, primarily to help with any interactions that they have with the city. If they have permitting issues, if they're having issues with utilities, if there's some impact that the city work is doing on their business, instead of having them try to navigate an entire bureaucracy of a city government, I'm the singular point of contact that they can come to and say, hey, I'm having this issue. Is there a way that you can help me here? And I'm generally am working to find somebody in a, a appropriate department who can work with them finding ways to expedite things, finding ways to lessen impacts from the city on their business, and working with them to just sort of make sure that they are able to operate within the city well. And then the second stool leg is policy and program development. So looking at what is happening globally, locally, nationally, within the nightlife sector, and identifying areas where We potentially need new policy put in place, uh, new programs put in place to support our nightlife economy as a whole and work with the city to uh, create a better business environment for these folks. And then lastly, the third prong is tourism, like uh, promoting nightlife within the city, looking to make Seattle a destination spot for nightlife and really trying to encourage you know, Seattle's profile uh, as a nightlife town. Now, how and when did this position come to be? So the position was originally created and posted in the fall of 2016, and I was hired and brought on in January of 2017. So it's been about six years now. In the kind of global nighttime economy governance movement that that seemed to swell out of two places, San Diego and Europe, uh, where was Seattle in its adoption of this uh, model in the in the kind of the American yeah. scheme of things? So uh, as far as I can tell, we were the fourth city in the U.S. to bring this, this type of position on uh, after San Francisco, Austin, and Pittsburgh. So when I came into this, there was not a lot of people that I could turn to and talk with and uh, bounce ideas off. And now that we have getting close to 20 positions in the, the country and well over 100, I think, globally. It's been fascinating to watch it grow. It's been fascinating to see the progression of, of basically a new industry and being on the ground floor of that and and be able to now be in a position to help other people who are coming into it in ways that I, I didn't necessarily have when I first started. Right. It's like an underground railroad almost. In Seattle, what constitutes nightlife business? So it's changed. And I think that you'll find that it's changed, like not just in Seattle, but globally. I think as this work has taken off and as more cities come into it, the evolution has also been in in thinking and thought uh, around it has has changed as well. 
Um, when I first started, we it was pretty narrow defined. We were like, if you operate from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. and you sold alcohol and you had some sort of uh, entertainment, you know, live entertainment or or whatnot, that was a nightlife business, and that that was sort of the area that we were supporting. Since then, you know, we have, I think, the purveyors of this work um, have switched to a life at night concept and looking at the totality of who is working at night. And so my focus has now shifted to not just looking at the entertainment side of the coin, but also just trying to understand what the needs are of anybody who is working during those hours. And one of the reasons for that, and I think that this is, uh, I would imagine that my counterparts would agree with this, is that in many ways, Seattle has come a long way in the way it views its nightlife. Um, and we've reached a much more positive spot than we used to have decades ago. But I think there's still always going to be a corner of the world that thinks of nightlife as sort of a, a nuisance or as something that is, well, who cares about them because they're just having a good time, they're out partying. And so it can be sometimes difficult to get people on board to support policies to affect them. However, if you look at the totality of people who are working at night, there are people who are working who don't work within the entertainment industry. And by pushing policies that will help them, you thereby raise the boats of the entertainment industry itself because, you know, they need to get to work as well. They need late night transportation options. They need shopping options. They need pharmacies that are open, you know, 24 hours. They need all of the same things that the nightlife people do. And sometimes it's just, it's just an easier lift to say, let's support, you know, our workers in our downtown, our, our downtown offices than per se, you know, a bartender. Right. I think a lot of people don't think about that when you put a bug in their head as where, where's the where's the daycare for nighttime workers where exactly. do nighttime workers vote if the vote the polls are closed that kind of stuff suddenly makes people realize oh well, I guess we are kind of nine to five centric do you find well you said that you find your role is really about advocating within city government on behalf of nightlife businesses and helping them navigate through all the channels that are there in the bureaucracy do you also have the opportunity and I I, I think you reference this do you also have the opportunity to impress up on existing and potential nightlife businesses what the city needs and how the city do you have that role too is it a two-way swing of that door um a little bit a little bit i think that it's it's more assessing the needs of the industry and looking at how the city is impacting them but also recognizing there the, has to be an equal partnership, right? This, the, the nightlife businesses have certain needs and we are trying to accommodate that. But on the other flip side of the coin, the city has to make sure that, you know, it's a safe, quiet place for other residents who aren't doing that. And so bridging that gap is the main function of this role, is saying yes, nightlife businesses, we want to lower your tax rate or we want to, you know, make it easier for you to open. But at the same time, recognizing that, you know, this, the city has requirements of you as well. And what I've always found is that the people who are operating in good faith get that and want that. 
and aren't interested in the people who aren't operating in good faith. And so it's often helpful to have, if you if there's a problem business going on, you have other nightlife um, uh, owners saying, hey, you need to come in line or you need to do this or advocating to the city and saying, hey, you need to figure out what to do with them because they're shining a bad light on us. Yeah, the drugging is all down. That kind of peer pressure is really helpful, I think, as well. So give me an example, though, of, of an instance where you help a, a nightlife business or a new nightlife business navigate and get to the other side. What's a, Tell us a little bit about a particular case that you worked on, if you will, a case, I use the word case, that you, <laughs> that you worked on that might be inspirational to somebody in another city going, oh, gosh, we need that. Well, you know, there's the nitty gritty stuff, you know, top of mind is, you know, an instance, well, we had, for some reason this year, I had a number of these types of, of issues, but um, where we had a, we have, we're having a major transportation construction project going on uh, called the Madison Rapid Bus Ride. And there was some need for utility work going on. And uh, one of our largest LGBT nightclubs <laughs> got notice the day before uh mm. a thursday before a friday that their water was going to be shut off at midnight they're open till two and so panicked owner calling and we were able to well, a colleague of mine uh in the small business team were able to work with public utilities to get them to push that time back um, we couldn't get it to all the way to two because on the other side of the of the hours, um, there was a bakery next door that was going needed to open at like generally opened at four um, and the work wouldn't be done. So we balanced that. We were able to find a balance between the two. So the the, the bar was able to stay up until one and the, the bakery was willing to open at five. Um, but that's a that's sort of a typical thing where, again, getting back to that idea that we tend to plan for daytime more than we plan for nighttime, because what I see often within, especially with utility work, is that you default to you want to make sure that the daytime businesses open up uh, on time and you don't think about the fact that the nighttime businesses need to go to the end of their of their time because that's when they're making their money. Right. So that was that was one small instance. There's another bar here that lost their space, lost their lease, their their buildings being redeveloped and they're moving into a, a new space. And it's been a sort of a you know bureaucratic nightmare of permits and inspections and construction and you know timelines and all that. And so I just have been holding their hands and walking them through that. We were able to get a dedicated permit specialist in our Department of Construction and Inspections. Oh, nice. Um, just for the nightlife sector? Just for the arts. Just for arts, which I we see. we include nightlife with okay. that. Okay, smart. Um, yeah. And so any cultural institutions, we have this person who is dedicated to that. And we're able to connect cultural businesses um, with them. And they can expedite. They can help them walk through the permit process. So that's been a huge help for this business because they literally had they are like almost having to gut the entire new space because of of you know the age of the building and how long it was closed during covid and things like that so right. um that's that's another example of ways that we're able to help i think that every city probably needs a scott to, to help navigate that so you talked to, uh, about the your colleagues on the, in the office of economic development that's kind of a very large team from looking at 
the website and, and you have uh, people working in many sectors, small businesses where you're situated, uh, business districts and their needs, wealth building, which I'm not sure what that means and I'll, needs and means, and I'll let you kind of tell me here in a bit. Key industries, I guess, are like what technology or that kind of thing. Yeah, well, to actually to clarify, since you saw that uh, that org chart, it's been changed a bit. Um, I'm actually no longer on the small business team. I am in the key industries team. Okay. Um, key industries and workforce Progress. development. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that includes, that does include our maritime sector. That includes our healthcare sector. That includes, you know, so industries that have very specific needs that are outside of, you know, just sort of mom and pop or the larger, you know, businesses. And um, might have their own unique workforce as well. Right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And the creative industries are a separate so Division. no, so they're part of that as well. So the okay. creative is kind of it's a it's an interesting thing. But the creative industries, we just hired our new creative industries manager, and he is now my manager. I see. But but he, I, and our film person sit under the key industries team. Okay. So we're so, a subdivision of that larger team. Okay. And so I'm yeah, I'm trying to map the organizational chart out in my head because again, other cities are kind of going, where do we park this person? If sure. we adopt a nighttime governance person, some are, have them in the police department, some of them have an economic development, some are a convention and visitors bureau kind of role. Yeah. And it's always curious to me where the city decides to park the nighttime governance person. So how how do you interact with these other specialists? It, when there's overlap, for example, if in the maritime industry, say that something wants to go up that at night that serves the that that sector, the tourism sector that comes in by boat, where do you overlap and how do you work together on those kinds of uh, overlaps? Yeah, I mean that specific uh, that's a specific, very specific thing that has not occurred yet, but uh, uh, with the maritime industry, but. Um, we we do do a lot of cross sectional work. I work a lot with our small business team. Um, like I said, that example with the LGBT um, bar that was being having the water shut off, that was a small business team member who assisted with that. And, and then we look at the, the, you know, the, 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 the BIAs, I work with the BIAs a lot because BIA. um, the business improvement okay. uh, districts, the BIAs. That's what you call, okay, gotcha, yeah. all right, all right. That team uh, is super helpful for me because it's great to do outreach. It's great to uh, connect with people in the in those neighborhoods. I often have, uh, rely on them to help new businesses who are looking for a space. So, you know, if I get a call saying, hey, I want to open this nightclub or this bar, um, these are the areas I'm going to look at. I have connections with those business improvement areas to get a hold of those those teams and say, hey, I have somebody looking for a space. Do you have anything open? So it's all very interconnected, inter interactive. And I think I think our office is very good at that, at cross pollination, cross talking, figuring out who needs what help and how to do it. And, you know, with the wealth building thing, it's primarily about, you know, the idea of helping people starting off and then scaling them up um, so sure. that we are creating a legacy of wealth uh, that can be passed down through generations. Ah, generations. That makes a whole lot of sense. And then the whole tag team approach, I think also exactly. how nice to be able to have that resource at your city government. And it's another opportunity, I think, that for other cities to look at. Now, you mentioned something also earlier about you, you kind of as we both do, we follow and spot trends or things that other cities are doing, best practices that surface here. 
when you see those and go, oh my gosh, that's an answer to a problem we've got. How do you float that? Do you talk, start with staff? Do you ever get a chance to talk with appointed officials or elected officials? How do you yeah. float new policy? So there's a couple of different ways. One is to do it within my office uh, and working with my team and my managers. But I also said we have here what is called the code compliance team. And that's an interdepartmental team comprised of, gosh, I think almost 10 departments. Wow. All of whom touch in some way on nightlife. So you got your fire, you got police, you have construction and inspections, you have Department of Transportation, you have our law department, you have our finance and administrative services who do all business licensing and things like that. We have outside partners in King County Health and the Washington Liquor Cannabis Board, and then me from OED. We meet once a month to talk about what is happening in the city with nightlife, where are some problem issues, what is working, what isn't. And that's an opportunity where I we have a policy arm of that. And that's an opportunity for me to come in and go, hey, this is an issue that we've been having here. Here's how I've seen a couple other cities you know, working on this. Maybe we could work on something similar to this, bring that idea in. You know, Sometimes it floats, sometimes it doesn't, but it, it, at least it's a sounding board. And what it does really great for me is we uh, offers an opportunity to say, we don't have to necessarily regulate ourselves out of this. We don't have to enforce things as so much as we might wanna tweak things um, that the city is doing with regards to these these businesses. So so that's that's a primary place to go. Okay. And then, you know, the great thing about that is that, you know, if people want to work on that, then I have, you know, 10 departments that are behind it uh to push it forward. Do you know is that a very common approach in other cities? Are there these tag teams, these interdepartmental tag teams that cut across the silos and sit down and address this shared I've had a few um, cities reach out to me about it and ask mm. how it's structured. Nice. Um, I know that I think Ariel in New York did something right. similar, um, but I'm not sure how prevalent it is. It makes a it makes a great model, I think, for other cities to embrace. So I want to talk about you for a second. Okay, <laughs> you studied theater. You mm. still dabble in it, I suppose. You got a degree in arts administration. I love that. And then you get a painted advanced degree in public policy and public administration. You wound up as a lobbyist for the city of Seattle before stepping into your current role. The nighttime governance industry around the world is shaped by former DJs and former promoters and hospitality professionals, even a few lawyers. And yet here's an actor. <laughs> how, how has that skill and training made you better at what you do? I think that if you were to ever ask anybody who has ever spent time working in the theater how they would do in the rest of the world, they would say, we will run the world. <laughs> because the skills that you develop in theater transfer to every other aspect of life. You're learning community development. You're learning team building. You're learning communication skills. You're learning how to work together on a project towards a common goal. So when I first was looking at this role, I was like, well, I don't, I've never owned a nightlife business. So, you know, how am I going to be effective here? But having been an actor and working in theater, not only did I get those skills in terms of what I just mentioned, but I also had a, a sense and a realization of what it's like to be somebody who earns their money at night. 
Like, what is it like to be going off to work when everybody else is getting off of work? And what is that sort of that mindset that you have that you're working until, you know, the wee hours of the night? And so understanding those needs and sort of that mentality and, and just being immersed in that um, was super helpful. And then having worked as a community organizer, doing that community development, doing that stakeholder outreach, finding who you need to talk to to get to this person, finding out who is effective at moving this issue, um, that coming together. And then the lobbying thing as well is like communicate effective communication, effective describing of problems and working towards solutions. All of those things came together for me. And then I said, that seems like that's what this role is supposed to be. That's there you great. Go. It's, it, they're all what they all have in common is how do I get large groups of people to do what I want them to do too. Exactly. So <laughs> I'm speaking with Scott Plusgleck, nightlife business advocate for small business development in the Office of Economic Development at the City of Seattle. I'll post a lot of the links that you have here for the Office of Economic Development OED and uh, on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, as well as your website. Uh, my final question is this. Seattle, like many other large U.S. cities right now, is facing challenges that affect economic vibrancy at night. Building vacancies and remote workforce that isn't staying in the city anymore to meet with friends for a drink. Homelessness and crime, which d deter people from going out. Political rifts. Uh, that fall between urban and suburban and rural kind of constituents. I'm going to also add in here post-COVID and generational customer shifts. There's a behavioral pattern that's happened since COVID. And I think as a, a Gen Z moves into the consumer uh, force, when these things happen, music venues, restaurants, bars, their ecosystem suffers. What's the biggest current challenge you're just chomping at the bit to tackle right now that has to do with the nighttime economy? Uh, my, <laughs> there's so many, um, I really want us to figure out the late night transportation aspect. I just, there is such need for, for these, for, for the workers, for, for everybody to have options that we're not driving and we're not dealing with parking, and we're not dealing with congestion, but that we have safe, you know, safe transportation options. And that these people, many of whom are making, you know, roughly around what is now the equivalent of the um, minimum wage, asking them to drive and to spend money on parking and to spend money on gas takes a huge amount of their, their paycheck. And it's not tenable and it's not feasible, but we also don't have, you know, it, they can't afford to live in the city, so they have to move farther out. And so, so I just, I really think that the, one of the biggest barriers to music recovery is lack of late night transportation. So I have a, I have a business owner who uh, uh, owns a club and he lives up North and the, the link rail extended out, you know, almost to the city limits getting close. He was able to drive down, park at the end line of the line, take the train in, walk a couple of blocks to a show, you know, didn't have to find parking, didn't have to worry about like any of that. Saw the show, got back on the leg, right, <laughs> and got home. And he doesn't stop talking about it because of how easy it was. He could do that because it was an early show. 
he was like, if, if the show gets off at two, I can't do that. Right. And so people tend to not, they want ease, right? And if there's barriers in the way, they're not going to come. And I think, so I think we need to figure out ways to really get people to be able to come downtown and come to our nightclubs and not have to worry about the parking. So does your city look at its nightlife businesses and workforce with the same vision it has for daytime businesses and workers? Go ahead. I'll wait. This has been Season 2, Episode 25 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us online at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White.